in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. I had a special permission to interview Dr. David Klerfeld, who was on the WHO working group in 2015 that came to the conclusion that meat causes cancer that everyone cites mm-hmm. when, and he said it was a bunch of vegans and vegetarians who were biased, ignored his data. He brought all this data to the table, all these studies that showed it wasn't true and, and they ignored it and they chose to use some epidemiology that proved their point. There's enough studies of people trying to make their kids be vegan and it going terrible. There's brain problems, there's deaths, there's all kinds of stuff. Well, what did you change your diet from? If you're eating McDonald's and then you start eating vegan, ah, that's a lot better. But then you build up the nutrient deficiencies and all that. A study which showed that in children who are vegan, it remodels their metabolism. They have low vitamin A, low vitamin D status, uh, low DHA, well, non-existent DHA and omega-3 that's really important and a lot of vitamins and minerals. 100%, eat more well-sourced red meat. My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human, certified health coach in training, metabolically flexible individual, and insulin-sensitive human. In this podcast, I will relentlessly ask Why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health just a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, powerful lifestyle practices, and will sometimes be joined by two friends and co-hosts. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone sick or healthy. I will do this with no agendas, no dogma, just truth, regardless of the fact that I will inevitably trigger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. To live damn well doesn't mean living life perfectly. We're all going to die someday, so striving for ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn for myself and empower others to fulfill their purpose and enjoy life, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in control of their biology. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free and highly fulfilling. Now we just need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, and closed-mindedness which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and I hope to help you on yours. Welcome, welcome to everyone tuning in today. So today is a continuation of last week's part one with Brian Sanders. Last week, we covered the problems with scientific research, why you shouldn't hold it as ultimate truth. It's ever changing. I highly recommend you listen to that because it gives a nice uh, little framework for what we're going to talk about in this episode, which is mainly about the problems with a vegan diet, uh, why, again, you shouldn't just trust one single diet to be the be-all, end-all of nutrition. So I hope to dispel a lot of myths with Brian. He's a wealth of information on this topic, and he's worked with and interviewed uh, many health officials and researchers and so he's super knowledgeable about it. And now, part two. Yeah, that's definitely something that I hope to, you know, spread with this platform because it's not like, I don't want to say grains are bad. This is bad. This is good, right? But like, 
first of all, you have the bioavailability thing where a lot of these plant foods, you know, have defense systems and we may not be able to actually use them better. And so I think there are, like you said, better options, right? And you can maybe meat is, is a better option in t- terms of nutrient density and bioavailability than a lot of plant foods. Yeah, it's a good thing to bring up because not a lot of people are aware of the bioavailability and it's the anti-nutrients are kind of problem and plants defend themselves with anti-nutrients. But a lot of what they do, sometimes they hurt people's gut or they cause people problems. But what they also do is block absorption of nutrients. And also you just kind of think about the food chain or how it works. It's, it's, there's a hierarchy. It's like all our, our nutrients really start in the soil which is a whole nother topic of we need to have healthy soil and right. not use just fake fertilizers and all this stuff. So if you have a healthy soil, then that goes into the plants. Then you, and yes, you can eat the plants straight. You know, some of them are okay. Uh, and then you have herbivores and other animals eating those plants and they accumulate, they upcycle this nutrition into their bodies, into their fat and their meat, and then we can eat them. Right. So we're on the top. So we can eat, the nutrition that they've upcycled that, you know, they keep magnifying it kind of as, as it goes up the food chain and it becomes more bioavailable for us to get the most nutrition out of. So that's like a simple sort of explanation of why we need animal foods in our diet is because this is a great harmonious miracle cycle. You know, nature is beautiful and, and, you know, some vegans will try to say, oh, we can skip that. Like, oh, you know, we're, we don't need to torture animals now because we have our modern supplements and you can, you don't have to do it. And uh, I don't think that's correct. And that this is kind of the way you you can't really cheat nature. You know, it it never really works out well. There's enough studies and sort of cases of people trying to make their kids be vegan and it going terrible. There's brain problems. There's deaths. There's all kinds of stuff. So don't, don't try to cheat nature. It's kind of a good rule too. (laughs) Yeah, actually I, speaking of that, I just found a a study which showed that um, in children who are vegan, it remodels their metabolism. They have low vitamin A, low vitamin D status, uh, low DHA, well, non-existent DHA and omega-3 that's really important. And a lot of vitamins and minerals, like the thing is you, you could be vegan and supplement, you'd have to supplement a lot of things to even make it be as good, or maybe even slightly lower than if you actually included animal products into your food, into your diet. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the, there is a few people who are successful at it. I mean, some people are successful for a short amount of time because it's the classic thing of, well, what did you change your diet from? If you're eating McDonald's and then you start eating vegan, ah, that's a lot better. But then you build up the nutrient deficiencies and all that. But also, you know, some people also, your body stores a lot of nutrients. So a lot of people do it and for a couple of years, but then they're, they finally get to that point where their body runs out of those stored nutrients. So then the people I'm mentioning that do do it well, Mm -hmm. these are, these tend to be very sort of wealthy athletes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you notice and in, in the vegan community, the people they prop, prop up are these like white male, wealthy distance athletes. It, it actually is pretty specific. And I think there's a reason for that. Well, one, they have the money to do all the supplementation and all that type of stuff. But two, the, the athlete part, especially these uh, ultra endurance type athletes is if you're 
very active. The classic example, Michael Phelps, people remember during the Olympics, they'd be like, Oh dude, this dude's eating five pizzas and like 10 sandwiches, like sub sandwiches. It's like, of course, right. He's burning it off. So this dude's running through 10,000 calories a day or 8,000 calories a day. Yep. So if you're an ultra athlete and you're, you're not doing what he's doing, but maybe you're running through 4,000 calories a day, you can eat because you have this low quality plant food that you're subsisting on by sheer volume. And because you're so active and you can burn off all the excess energy that these foods come with, mm-hmm. you can maybe get enough nutrition plus supplementation, right? So you know what I mean? Like the sheer volume, you, because this plant nutrition is so low, they're, they're doing it by force, right? right? And they're, they're getting enough protein. So part of my problem with vegan diets or plant-based protein and all this stuff is it comes with extra energy, right? So if, if you think of it as fat or carbs, fat or carbs, it's just energy, right? And then you think of how do I want to get my protein? Cause that's the most important thing. These are the building mm-hmm. blocks of what you need is the protein, the minerals, the vitamins. So if you're, you know, people take beans or something, or for example, or beans mm-hmm. and rice, it's like, okay, well, Beans are not a complete protein. Rice is not a complete protein. But when you combine them together, you get all the amino acids. I'm like, okay, fine. So let's take a piece of steak. It's whatever, say 500 calories, and you get the good amount of protein, whatever it is, arbitrary Mm -hmm. amount of protein, 20, whatever, 30 grams of protein. Then to get that same 30 grams of protein with rice and beans, you need to eat like 1,000 calories, Mm, right? right? So that's where people get screwed. So people who are vegan are either overweight or they're malnourished right? They're usually not both because you're, you're having to eat so much extra energy to get the same amount of protein. But if you're an ultra endurance athlete, you can eat all that excess energy because you're burning it off. Right. I also think a lot of people, when they hear about, you know, eating animal foods, they just think, oh, meat, it's fat and protein, but like, no, there's, you know, there's a ton of nutrients in it. You know, can you speak to that? Exactly. That's what I didn't know. Like, I don't think anyone knows that really. I, I, cause I talk to a lot of people because I do the film. It's all I talk about, all I think about. So I know that for one, I didn't know this stuff, you know, a few years back and no one I talk to knows about it. Yes. You just think it's bad. Red meat has the most vitamins and minerals out of any meat. I mean, I do not eat chicken anymore. It's chicken's kind of wasted time for me. Cause I know the superior nutrition in red meat. It has tons of stuff, all the B vitamins, tons of like heme iron, which you need that form of heme iron. You don't want really, you don't really want like, you definitely don't want fortified iron that comes in like grains. You don't really want the iron in, in spinach and other leaves that much anyway. So it has, it has a lot of potassium in it. Even mm-hmm. uh, red meat has uh, c- c- just a million things, carnitine, choline, the seas. Um, it has so much good news. You just got to look it up, right? If you just, what really surprises people, I had some debates over Christmas uh, with certain family members or friends that have lived vegetarian lives mm-hmm. and aren't thriving at all and trying to brag to me about their healthy vegetarian life, but I'm looking at them and they're 60 and very unhealthy and very overweight and <laughs> it doesn't really add up. And if you show them just like, okay, let's go to the USDA data, let's go online anywhere and just look up the vitamins and minerals in any plant food you want. And then we'll just grab ground beef and you, you'll, they'll be blown away. They'll be blown away that it's very one-sided towards the meat. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, theoretically 
to be fair, like veganism sounds good, right? Like the morality piece, which is the most heavily nuanced piece of it, um, sounds okay. Like you're doing less harm, supposedly. Um, you know, you're still able to get, um, you know, adequate nutrition, but it's not optimal. And also, you know, you had a post uh, earlier today on Instagram and it said like, you know, the best, um, the best method of sequestering carbon we already have it. I mean, it's, it's regenerative agriculture. So I think the piece that people miss is, uh, and I think a big problem with it is a straw man argument, which is like concentrated animal feedlots, like, sure, those aren't going to be so good for the environment. Um, And that's, I think what a lot of vegan or plant-based communities, you know, use as evidence that it's not a good way of eating. Yeah. So it, 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 veganism has a great marketing pitch, but like most marketing pitches, they're like kind of bogus once you start examining them better, right? On the surface level. So it does sound good on all three accounts, like better for your health, better for the environment and better ethically. So on the top level, it's, it, you're like, of course I should go vegan. That's why there's all this propaganda. And like, I, I just saw a post today about it. Plant-based is the new low fat, right? People mm. like marketing, all the food marketing companies used to be like, oh, it's low fat. It's good. It's low fat. It's good. Now it's like, oh, it's plant-based. It's good. That's right. in the public psyche. It's like plant-based equals good because on the surface level, it seems good. Then you can break mm. down each of those three arguments and you find out it's untrue. So we've kind of already been doing the nutrition argument that's showing that it's not true there. We know that saturated fat actually is not bad. I can tell you all about why meat doesn't cause cancer. And I interviewed, I had a special permission to interview Dr. David Klerfeld, who was on the WHO working group in 2015 that came to the conclusion that meat caused cancer that everyone cites mm-hmm. when, and he said it was a bunch of vegans and vegetarians who were biased, ignored his data. He brought all this data to the table, all these studies that showed it wasn't true and, and they ignored it and they chose to use some epidemiology that proved their point. So so the, the, the health stuff sort of debunked the environment stuff. You've already sort of started that discussion that, yeah, there's some bad ways to finish cows and put them in a, in a concentrated animal, the CAFO, right. The feedlot, but you know, at least they spend the first two thirds of their life on grass and at least they actually eat 86% of the food they eat during that time during their life is not edible to humans. So they're actually recycling a lot of food. Like we're using food waste in these feedlots. It's not like we're just growing millions of acres of corn and just like throwing it to the cows. No, the corn goes to produce ethanol, Mm -hmm. right? We have these fossil, you know, these uh, biofuels that we make, and then we have this leftover stuff and then we give it to the cows or they distilleries, they make beer or whatever. And then we take the, the leftover stuff and then they feed the cows. I mean, it's pretty efficient system. So it's not perfect, but it's pretty efficient. So Yes, cows, especially when they're raised on pasture their whole lives, do put carbon back in the soil. It is part of a natural cycle that's healthy and sustainable and been going on forever. And, you know, people are like, well, there used to be like 80 million buffalo roaming the United States. You know, there's so these there's so many more arguments that we make in the film that kind of show the other side. But it's very easy to kind of debunk these environmental things and really the big things it's, it's kind of like a smoke screen it's like it's a good scapegoat you blame the cows mm-hmm. when the real it's like it makes sense you know all these big industry people it's like the big industry the food industries does has a, more of a, a 
worst impact or the fossil fuel industry or transportation, like all these bigger things are the real problem, but it's, it's sort of a good scapegoat. It's like, Oh, but the cows, the right. cows are farting. Oh my God. The cows <laughs> are farting. So that's it. And then the ethical stuff, if you wanted to touch on that really quickly, that's the last part of the vegan, you know, claims is, well, really, if you're eating well-sourced animal foods, and actually I, I really prefer people eat the ruminant animals. Those are the, the cows, the sheep, the buffalo, bison, these type of animals, because for one, they eat the lower quality foods. They can subsist on just grass and like the very low quality foods, but things like pigs and chickens, they need higher quality food because their digestive systems are more similar to humans, right? They don't have the four stomachs like the cow. So they require more food and they're usually raised in a very uh, poor way, right? You, you see those big like uh, factory farm chicken operations and there's a million chickens in one warehouse. And so that's also not good, but just know that, you know, for cows, they spend two thirds of their life on pasture and then they go to some, you know, they're not stuck in a feedlot their whole life. And right. You know what I'm saying? So, right. so I'm kind of getting to the point that, uh, eating these bigger animals that eat the lower quality foods that humans can't eat is actually more ethical when you're talking about how many for, well, how many lives are lost, but I'll get to that. But for one, how they're raised, because the pigs and chickens aren't raised well no matter what, pretty much, unless you get some really good pasture raised chicken and pork, which is pretty expensive. So then we talk about deaths. What we talk about deaths is to grow crops. There's some good studies at Australia showing how many small animals die mm. to grow crops. So, I mean, really the monocropping is the problem. And most foods that we eat are from monocropping. And so many animals die in the harvesting. They die after the harvest from starvation. They die... Other, other uh, they need to be killed, like actually shot, like bigger animals to protect the fields. Or a lot of these animals, these whole ecosystems are wiped out to create these big fields for the plant, you know, monoculture in the first place. So you're displacing and killing, you know, entire species just in areas, right? To clear it out for these monocrops. So there's really no leg to stand on when either of these three arguments are looked at. If you're finally convinced that eating a Beyond Burger as opposed to a regular burger is better for the environment or our health, then listen up. Although you can probably still find vegan stuff at Thrive Market, but I want to talk about them today. So I've personally been a member of Thrive Market for a few years now along with my family because we love the convenience of getting groceries shipped to our door, but we also love just how affordable and delicious their healthy products are. So I'm going to tell you why I believe in this company so much. So first of all, you can shop handpicked brands from cosmetics and supplements to even wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef, and other household products all shipped right to your door. Now, you might think to yourself, but organic health foods are incredibly expensive and with the pandemic, we're having to cut costs. But when you buy from Thrive Market, you actually save around 25 to 50% off retail price that you'd find in a physical health food store near you. The membership is incredibly affordable. It's just about the price of a cup of coffee per month. And on average, members actually make back what they spend on the membership in savings after just two orders. And it's way easier than the grocery store. Thrive Market makes it so easy to shop. Not only is it all online and ships to your door, but every single product is tagged by over 90 different Thrive Market values. So you can sort the whole catalog of products. 
Now, if you wanna make eating healthier, not only more affordable, but way more convenient and delicious, try Thrive Market risk-free for a month and get a gift of up to $24 in value when you use my link. Hope you give them a try. Now, back to the show. Yeah, yeah. So what you're getting at is basically, you know, this whole vegan argument, whichever way you look at it, the, the holy trifecta of the vegan argument kind of falls apart when in reality, you know, because theoretically it looks all right. But in reality, you actually have maybe a lot more energy consumption that needs to be done. You're destroying ecosystems because monocrops are not an ecosystem. They're unnatural. They're overtilling the soil, depleting it of nutrients, which means we get less nutrition in our food. You're also killing billions of animals like insects and rodents, which you mentioned. So it, it really, when you get into the nitty gritty and you dig deep, you see that it honestly is probably more ethical to eat more meat than it is to, to not. 100% eat more well-sourced red meat. I think that's, and that's just the, the cruel irony is the red meat part. Like we said, the most nutritious stuff has the most vitamins and minerals. When you look at it, it has, it's raised the best. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty backwards. Yeah. And I also want to touch on something you mentioned earlier about cancer and meat. So um, the way I understand it, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it has to do with, you know, mTOR, IGF-1, these pathways that we so narrow-mindedly look at, you know, we're, we're, you know, highlighting this tiny little pathway in our biology and we're saying, oh, there it is, causes an increase in IGF-1, therefore cancer. And we're not doing what you said. We're not we're not uh, putting it in the context of an ancestral narrative, evolutionary biology, which we need to do. So, you know, how, how do we get around that? Because sometimes it sounds like people are saying modern science is bad. Ancestral health is, is good, but it's not like that. Yeah. So that's, a, it's a complicated one. And the problem is people get really myopic in science. And these days we have all kinds of new, ways to do science and instrumentation and we get really focused and we get some people who are really good scientists but we'll go down a rabbit hole because we discover mTOR IGF-1 and then people get excited and then they're like oh well and then it's connected to this and then they do some epidemiology and it's like oh wow it looks like people who you know eat meat have higher of this IGF-1 and then and then they just make these conclusions but they're not thinking of it in the evolutionary context uh, I, I like to think of it like the evolutionary context is sort of the North star to guide you. Right. And then you, and if you have a bad compass, you'll know that you're wrong. Cause you can look at the North star like, Oh, okay. I was completely off track. But if you never look at the North star for that guidance, you could be going South for a hundred miles and be off track. And I think that's what some of these scientists do is they'll, yeah, they'll look at these tiny little biomarkers and then they won't think about it from the higher level, like you said, you zoom out and then you, you say, well, we've been eating meat for all of history. So there's these, all these diets, these people who are unhealthy are eating meat with they're at McDonald's and they're drinking soda and the French fries, or they're who are, you know, we know that healthy user bias of people who, who avoid meat because they're told it's bad, have all these other healthy behaviors. And so it's all, it's, it's not, you can't do good science when it's all confounded, right? The data is confounded. We can't know. Um, and also there's so many sick people, right? There's that famous study that 88% of Americans are not metabolically well. 
right? So it's like yeah. we're doing all these studies with a bunch of unhealthy people and people eating meat plus the sugars and the oils and the, the grains. So why don't we look at the sugars and the oils and the grains instead of the meat? And that's sort of that North Star thing is, right? It's like the meat is what we've been eating for all the history. It hasn't really changed. Like you can get a bison from 1800 and look at, you know, a modern cow and you, you look at the actual components of the meat and it's not very different at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so we need to look at what did change and what did change was all the processed foods, monocrop, you know, soybeans, corn and all that stuff. So this might be kind of a, a simple answer, but why do you think that we're not looking at sugar, industrial seed oils, processed food, and we're choosing to focus on meat? Mm. Uh, it's kind of simple. If you just think of how the world works and it's all about money and big industry, but yeah, I mean, I think it's more than that. So it's definitely that it's kind of this momentum, right? So we, we had this, I don't ever like to blame certain evil people or say, oh, this is, you know, this conspiracy or blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really just, you have this big momentum that pushes things in a direction and it's hard to stop. It's like trying to, you know, the classic, like re reverse the battleship or turn the battleship. It's like, wow, that's a hard thing to turn. Right. When we we've started this, we've opened up the door really early in the fifth, starting the fifties, especially in 1980s, when we had the dietary guidelines and just processed foods even exploded even more. Mm -hmm. So we gave them, we gave the food industry this green light and they have all this money. And I always like to bring up the, the profits in the processing. So the, okay. If, if you have these cheap, industrial monocropped plant foods and you can sell them at a huge markup. You can take 10 cents worth of cereal and sell it for 450 in a grocery store. So not a, now you have a ton of money, right? So I, I always use the example too, if I have a company called nose to tail and we're, we're trying to do the, the meat, right. You know, we, we raise it well, all that type of stuff. I make barely anything, right. It's the opposite of 10xing your profit on something or even more, I have the opposite. So the profit is in these cheap refined foods, mm -hmm. not in the healthy whole foods. So that's sort of an inherent problem because if you have the profit, well, then what happens? You become craft foods and you become these billion dollar companies that have all the marketing power. They have the lobbyists, mm -hmm. they have everything at their disposal because they're making all this money to continue this this idea, right? I know people who personally, personally know people who tried, were booked on a news program and right before it happened, the advertisers that pay for the news program, right? That's who pays for it. It's Nabisco and all these, they heard that this person was advocating for high fat diets with, without processed foods and they were gonna be disparaging all the processed foods. So the advertisers said to the news program, you can't have them on your show because we're the advertisers. So they were, unbooked from the show. So this is just how it works. They have lobbyists that will keep the, these studies happening. They will fund research. They will keep the idea that we need to have the heart healthy whole grains like in the school lunches because they make billions of dollars because they're supplying the school lunches. So then you have little companies like mine that have no sway, make no money. And that's just how it works. Yeah, sadly, there's it's a big systemic issue because like you uh, in the book that I wrote called Return to Human, I, I touch on that. I say like 
like explicitly. I don't believe that it's some conspiracy where individual scientists and doctors and researchers are all plotting against us. I think it's a systemic issue where incentivization is just, it's wrong. It's not towards getting people healthy. It's towards, like you said, making money. Incentives need to align. And that's a, the solution to the healthcare system. The incentives are not aligned at all. You're, the doctors are not aligned to have people sick. They're not bad people. They're not trying to keep people sick, but they're not aligned to have people well. Right. It, and, and then in the same thing with the food industry, there's uh, people just think, oh yeah, it says healthy on the box. They're like, oh, it's from, you know, this brand. It's like a health brand. Mm-hmm. Like they have no, they have no monetary duty or any duty to be healthy. It's a marketing claim, right? They are, it's a marketing claim to sell product, but that there is actually no reason they need to make a healthy product. Yeah. So the last question before we get into some of the rapid fire questions at the end. Um, so obviously the past year has been a little bit of a shit show and mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people that I know that I've talked to, it's like a lot of people are losing hope. Uh, it seems like we're going towards, uh, you know, what's known to be the sixth extinction, the sixth major extinction event, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot of the biodiversity is just declining at such a rapid rate. And, you know, but that also leaves a door for optimism. You know, where if we do what you're doing with nose to tail, if we start making radical changes, maybe we can reverse that and maybe we can actually create a world which is which is in, in alignment with nature. So with that being said, where do you think humans are heading? Wow. Yeah, it's I, I get dark and gloomy sometimes about this because it just keeps seeming to go down the wrong route. But then I do have hope because there's these movements, there's yeah, people like you just doing these podcasts. I'm trying to make the film. We have a great community pushing back. So ultimately I do have hope. And I kind of had this idea of making farming cool again. Hmm. And uh, that that's kind of my kind of thing I, I want to promote is that we did it before, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was all, not all Americans. There was like 80 something percent Americans used to be farmers back in you know, the 1800s. Right. And we produced our food and we, we were proud and we, we worked with our hands and it was, it was valuable. It was satisfying. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, modern stuff came in and you could say it's great because now we have giant TVs that are like 400 bucks at Costco and it's really awesome. And you have great phones, all this stuff, but we kind of need to go back a little. And I think there could be, I think it's possible to, Go back a bit with food. It's the one thing, like I said, you can't cheat nature. You can't cheat nature with food. So if we realize that, we realize the soil health is so important. It's a whole podcast you could do on soil health. Yeah. I read some great books about it too. If, if we go back to this idea of like, okay, we can't cheat nature. Let's fix the soil. Let's fix the food. And then, so people have this idea, there's all these jobs being lost because of technology, right? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, what's going to happen when the trucks are self-driving and the cars are self-driving where are all those jobs going to go back to the farm that's where they should go so we have all these people looking for meaningful work let's give them let's make farming cool again it's you don't want to be some podunk farmer you want to be a you know a, a guy or a girl working with their hands creating something valuable out there on the land getting in the sun eating good food supplying a good product that people want and need. I think that's huge. If we can get that kind of movement, 
going and, you know, we get more regenerative agriculture. We, you know, replace some of these monocrops fields, the corn, wheat, and soy with great farms, like ones I visited, like Joel Salatin or Gabe mm-hmm. Brown or all these people doing the, the good work. That's a hopeful solution. Awesome. Uh, so I usually ask people four questions at the end, the same mm-hmm. questions, just real quick to finish it off. So number one, what is the most important habit you personally do every single day to support your mental and physical health? Well, this, I, I don't think it can work for everyone, but I get out in the sun and I read for 40 minutes and it's a little hard sometimes. I mean, I know I'm in LA and I have an advantage with the sun, but I will go out there you know, when it's cold and I'll get some sun, even though I'm a little cold, because I think it's really valuable to get outdoors, get the vitamin D and take a break and read, right? Just expand your mind. And I think people can do that during work. Even, you know, if you work at a normal office, go outside, don't buy lunch from some place and sit indoors and eat some bad food, take your own lunch, go eat it in a park, walk around the block. Mm -hmm. If there's no park, just get some sun, get outside. Oh yeah. I love that. There's always some simple solution that you can do. Anything is, yeah. is better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the most important lesson you've learned recently? Well, it's definitely look at both sides, even though we already covered it. So yeah. it's definitely, that's my most important thing I've learned in life is consider both sides of the argument, be, be empathetic to other people's opinions, be respectful of other people's opinions and learn from them. What drives you to get up in the mornings on the days you least want to? Well, I've actually not had those days in the past three years since I started making those film. Uh, I can't remember one of those days, uh, but I used to have those a lot back mm-hmm. when I worked jobs that I didn't like. So uh, I guess this is, you know, not always easy for people mm-hmm. to do. And I understand that not everyone can just, kind of quit their job like I did and make a film and do something they're passionate about, but find, find something that you're passionate about. It could be a a hobby too. Instead of making your hobby playing video games, I mean, you can do your normal job. I get it. You you have your job, whatever your job is, got to do it, but either search, like look for a bigger meaning and maybe you could work towards a bigger career or have a hobby that isn't playing video games and, and make it something productive that you believe in, because if you just have at least one project that you believe in and that you, you feel proud of, you will want to get out of bed. Cause you know, it's like, Oh man, I got to put in my shift. It's going to suck. I'm going to be gone for nine hours, mm-hmm. but then I get to do this. And this is something I care about. So you got to find your project. And I find a lot of people don't have a project, whatever it may be. Awesome. And finally, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? Wow. I'd say start thinking about nutrition now. Don't wait till you're 30. A lot of people wait till they're 30, sort of an arbitrary number, but it's kind of, yeah, when you you just can't get away as much, get away with things as much and your metabolism slows down, which I think is, is actually wrong. I don't think your metabolism slows down. I think you, your life slows down. (laughs) You know, you, you, you don't work out as much. You don't, and, and that you just need to eat better as you age. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not that your metabolism slows down. You just, as you get older, this is what I've found by great scientists. 
studied through studying fruit flies is that as you get older, you just, it's more necessary to eat a more ancestral diet. So you can get away with it when you're younger, but really as you get old, as you age, you need to eat a more evolutionary consistent diet. So my advice is, is to start earlier, start when you're 20 instead of when it's too late and you'll probably be a lot better off. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to show this interview to some of my vegan friends. Um, <laughs> so where can uh, people find out more about you and uh, your work? Yeah, Food Lies. Just go to any social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, search for Food Lies. I'm there. And sapien.org is my main hub. And you can find out about Notes of Tail there and everything else. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, man. If you like this episode and if you've liked some of my other episodes with other guests, please take the time to review this podcast on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful to me and getting this message out to way more people. Navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward. So if you're a little bit confused as to you know, what things are harmful, is this food good? Is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. Now it's around 70 or 80 pages. And so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effects on your overall health. Because, you know, unlike what many health gurus claim, one thing will not make a healthy person. Multiple things will give you a 1%, a 2%, even a 10% if you're lucky increase in your overall quality of life. Now that's what I set out to do when I wrote this book. So I cover those top six. I tell you very, very simple things that one, damage your immune health and your overall health. Two, how you can do the appropriate thing based on research, right? And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you, but it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars, even though it is $3 right now on Amazon, that's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, so your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, to calm the nervous system, all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two, or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps, and I'll see you in the next episode.